Blog Talk Radio. Taking time out to check out Locker Talk on the Bachelor News Radio Network, where you hear about NFL stars of tomorrow today. I'm your host, Barry Barnes, founder and CEO of Locker-Report.com. And you guys can always go to the site to check the site out where you see unique information on the NFL that you will not receive anywhere in the world. But also follow me on any one of my social handles on Twitter at Locker underscore reports, on Instagram, Locker Report 100 on Facebook, LockReport.com, and also the Locker Talk Podcast on Facebook. But make sure you guys go and subscribe to the Locker Talk Podcast on YouTube and definitely always come to the Bachelor News Radio Network where you can listen to the show at any time on this fantastic site. It's available 24 hours a day. You can come and check out Locker Talk to get caught up on good NFL news that you will not hear from anywhere else. Now, folks, we know that the playing season of the NFL is over. However, the business of the NFL always continues. And to be a part of this process is always a great thing. Uh, but before we get into the next phase of, I would say, of the next season, 2021, which pretty much only, only starts around March with the combine workouts and things like that. And um, although this year there will not be a national scouting combine um, due to the COVID-19 um, pandemic that the country is still um, going through. There's some um, the workout procedures have changed where players instead of them having their traditional combine workouts, they're going to have they're going to be focused more on their pro days. Now, what does this mean for the small schools? Well, that's something that you know NFL football operations still trying to hammer out, and also situations as far as how I'm going to be able to uh, get the process rolling with that. But don't worry, don't worry. We definitely will not forget about the small guys as we will definitely promote them and try to get them in front of scouts. That's the most important thing, to get them in front of scouts and then from there allow their abilities to speak for themselves so they can be able to get to the next level and hopefully pursuing their dream of becoming NFL players. Now, before uh, we get into that, we're going to talk about officiating today, but I will touch on last week's progress talking about the HBCU. Yes, the historical black blacks and universities, how their impact for Super Bowl 55, how big of a deal with them in this platform falls with the victors of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What that has to do with the HBCU. It could be something that going into 2021 that the HBCU platform has never done in the NFL, and we're going to talk about that before we end today's show. But we're going to get right into what today's topic is, and today we're going to talk about officiating. And I know officiating, especially the NFL officiating, is always under scrutiny. You know, the NFL is the biggest boy in the block in terms of sports in the in the United States, so everything is under magnifying glass. The players, the coaches, the teams, franchises, owners, GMs, everything. And that does not exclude officiating. And offici- officiating is very important in the NFL and in all sports. You know, officiating definitely have to be, you know, correct because of the hard work that each player go, you know, puts puts into. You know, when you look into their off season, you have players that will spend some time with their families but will sacrifice a lot of family time. And when they sacrifice family time, then they will sacrifice certain things as far as their eating habits and how they will how they will train, how they go about their daily business when they have to study and have to review and then still stay in shape and still at the same time worry about the next man behind them trying to come and take their jobs, trying to move into their territory. They always got to look over their shoulder and, you know, deal with – someone had to deal with their contract situation, hoping that they don't get injured and hoping that they can still stay on top of their game, making sure they don't lose a step. And then they have to go through the OTAs and then going through the OTAs, and then hopefully taking that little break, still focusing on that season, and then that's the, that's the you know, training camp start. Training camp start, job still on the line for most of them, still trying to fight through, trying to 
eat right, still got to find some way to spend time with their families, not as much as they want to, still sacrificing, and then it comes the regular season. And that's they know the regular season starts. And then towards the end of the regular season, everything that they put their work into, then all of a sudden it could be a bad call that will go against them. And then all that work and all the preparation, all the sacrifice they made for their entire calendar year will all come to an end based off a bad call that was made. And this is why the officiating is very important, reason why they put a lot of resources into it so that those players that put those sacrifices in, and then all of a sudden after that long year of drawing, of making sure they get a chance to get to the Super Bowl, for most players just to get to the playoffs and beyond, or just to be able to home into that right contract, everything can be spoiled based off a bad call. And this is something that the the league don't, does not want, certain the players don't want, you as a viewer do not want. And this is why the officiating is where it is now for us with the steps that was taken now. Uh, last year, Troy Vincent, executive vice president of football operations, he himself changed some things with officiating, and he got more involved with officiating himself. So instead of him doing what he normally do as far as making sure the game day uh, preparation for all the teams around the league is going the way it's supposed to. And he still was doing that job. But he put on a little bit of extra stuff on himself to make sure that he monitored the officiating to make sure that everything continued to run smooth or actually to get better. And so they made some changes. Mr. Walt Anderson, who retired from being a referee, uh, came a part of that staff. Al Riveron still part of that staff, and then they brought in um, Phil. I mean um, Perry uh, Fullwell, who came in in this situation to make sure that officiating be strong. And this year, folks, 2020 season is a difficult season for everyone, but officiating was pretty much really, really, really strong. Definitely had you know took another step, uh, step uh, notch higher. They were all, you know they all like I always said they were the best in the business, in officiating, but each year, as far as improvement, that was something that the league wanted, and they were able to do that. And so, thus, here we are now, here we are now on Locker Talk talking about officiating, but not just to talk about officiating, what they did, but highlights, and everyone loves highlights, players love highlights, you love highlights, coaches like highlights, and believe me, officials, they love highlights as well. Ever since I started this a couple of years ago, highlighting certain plays that they did on the field, that was a big thing. They really enjoy it because at least they know that, you know, their people are interested in officiating because officiating have a strong fan base out there, believe it or not. And so this is something that Locker Talk, Locker Report is definitely tapping into. Now, if you want to see the video version of this, just make sure you subscribe to the Locker Talk podcast because there will be a video version of this. However, we're going to jump right into some highlights. Now, these highlights definitely will be a testament to their diligence, monitoring the process, but most importantly, monitoring the craft, just like the players go through their year of sacrifice and making sure things work out for them on the field. The officials do the same exact thing, far as that preparation all year long. They have a certain nutrition program. There's workouts that they have to go through. There's a lot of studies they have to go through, and also a lot of um, replays and all, all kinds of stuff that we'll probably get into later. But right now I just want to focus on some good on-field calls. And the highlights I'm about to talk about, has nothing to do or had no assistance from replay. The NFL is a – just to say the NFL is fast, it's an understatement. I like to say that it's blurred speed. The closer and closer you get to the field, folks, the game is faster. When you're watching the game on television, the game is kind of slowed down for your sake so you can follow everything because if they played everything in live speed, we would miss it. And so this is why the officiating, what these guys and girls and ladies do on the field, to catch this in real time just says a whole lot about their ability. And that's why a lot of people cannot be officials on this level because it's just too much. It's a lot of preparation on and off the – a lot of preparation off the field before they get on the field. Getting on the field, that's where the easy part <laughs> is for them. But this is what we're going to get right into. We're going to go into week 13. Week 13 when the Minnesota Vikings host the, um, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, this matchup, it was really, really, really good that the Vikings were still trying to find their way to get into the postseason. So this game was really big for them. Call was not what you consider a splashy or toe-drag swag or a good toe-tapper. We have some of those to talk about in the show. But this was good old-fashioned officiating and monitoring the process as this play had went on. Now, 
the Vikings was facing first and 10 from the Jaguars' 11-yard line with 38 seconds left in the third quarter. Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins took the ball from center and handed the ball off to running back Darvin Cook. Now, Darvin Cook took the ball, and he powered his way through the crowd, through the trenches of players that was in front of him. So as Cook was approaching the goal line, he extended his body along with the ball, with the ball in his right hand, over the goal line while he was laying on top of teammate and fullback C.J. Ham. Now, while he was on top of the pile, it looks really clear, folks, from the naked eye. I even you know, watched this game. It looked like it was a touchdown to me because when a person, if you land on top of a body, you're not touching the ground. You're still alive. You're still in the air. And when I saw that ball, you know, creep right over top of the goal line with his body part, clearly, well, I can say, well, looked apparently like that his body did not touch the ground. It like it was a touchdown. However, that's why I cannot be an official because – from, from referee Lance Clark's uh, crew, down judge Trip Sutter, and line judge Mark Stewart. They recognized this play within the crowd. Within the crowd, they was able to monitor, monitor that although Cook bullied his way towards the goal line, when he extended the ball, they recognized that his left shoulder had hit the ground slightly before the ball hit the goal line. And if you guys go to locker-report.com and you look up this article when you talk when you, when you talk about this particular case, just click on NFL caretakers and then the first story that's there talking about going through the process. And you'll see I have an image of Darvin Cook's shoulder on the ground. I got a little arrow pointing to it where the ball, where his shoulder was on the ground right before the ball had crossed the goal line. For Sutter and Stewart to catch this in live speed, that says a lot about how they monitor their craft and how much they were paying attention. When they went into replay, that's when you observed and they saw and they, and they showed how his left shoulder hit the ground right before the ball crossed the goal line. So the Vikings wind up getting the ball inside the run. They wind up scoring a couple of plays later, but that play was not a score, and that was good officiating on both Sutter and Stewart to recognize in that entrapment of players that he recognized it was not a touchdown. You listen to Locker Talk on the Bachelor News Radio Network where you hear about NFL stars of tomorrow today. I'm your host, Barry Barnes, founder and CEO of Locker-Report.com. Now, staying with Week 13, the Denver Broncos playing the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, this play was a remarkable play from, uh, from Alex Kipp crew as these guys were Johnny on the spot, I like to say. In the third quarter, three minutes and 54 seconds remaining, the Broncos was facing first and 10 for the Chiefs' 10-yard line. Quarterback Drew Locke took the ball from center, and as soon as he took the snap, he quickly tossed a, a fade to the corner post to wide receiver um, Tom Patrick. Tom Patrick reached over the Chiefs' cornerback, uh, I mean, uh, Bashar Brulin, and he snatched the ball out the air and came down with the ball while he was falling out of bounds. Now, field judge Rick Patterson, who was normally with Brad Allen's crew, he ran over and signaled incomplete that Patrick did not catch the ball and he was out of bounds. Now, when Patrick did this, he actually, when he ran out of bounds, he rolled over and he immediately jumped up and pointed to the spot where he landed in bounds. So this is where the officiating part really kicks in. Line judge, Wesley Baines, who was normally part of Jerome Bogart's group, he walked up to the sideline to Patterson for a discussion. They had a brief conversation, and that's when Patterson backed up and signaled the touchdown, and Baines signaled the touchdown with him as well. When, you, when replays showed that when the ball was in flight, Patrick caught the pass while he was in air, and when he landed into the end zone, his left foot landed, but his right foot awkwardly landed in the end zone slightly before he was pushed out of bounds. Replay had showed that both feet was in bounds. He had secured the ball. Fantastic, excellent work, teamwork between Baines and Patterson. Patterson to listen to Baines. The Baines had a different angle from what um, from what Patterson had saw. And so since he saw a different angle, they confessed, they talked, boom, play, overturned, touchdown for the Denver Broncos. That was an edgy game, a close game, but the Chiefs still pulled that out. So that was a good, good, great on-field call there. You guys listen to Locker Talk on the Bachelor News Radio Network where you hear about NFL stars of tomorrow. We're going to take a quick pause. We're going to come back. Get back to some more highlights and then enlighten you guys about what 50, Super Bowl 55 meant to the HBCU 
platform. This is Like a Talk, the best news radio network. If you want real discussions on politics, social issues, racial issues, and other topics, then tune into the Bachelor News Radio Show. Listen live every Monday and Thursday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com. And if you miss the show, you can listen every Monday through Saturday at 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. Eastern and every Sunday at 5 a.m. and 3 p.m. at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Listen and be informed. All right. Welcome back to the Locker Talk on the Bachelor News Radio Network, where you hear about NFL stars of tomorrow today. I'm your host, Barry Bonds, founder and CEO of Locker-Report.com. And make sure you guys check out what's going on the Bachelor News Radio Network with all our great shows, talking about everything from sports, religions, politics, entertainment, anything, social matters. Check it out. Everything is all set up there. And make sure you guys tune in to the Bachelor News Radio Show with host L.A. Bachelor. The show discusses issues of race, politics, policies, injustice, inequality, religion, sports that affect the black and brown and poor people negatively. Listen live every Monday and Thursday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Bachelor News Radio Network, where you guys always will stay informed. Okay, now, back to the great stuff we were talking about officiating in the NFL, and we had talked about what was going on with the officials early on in the show, but getting right back to some great highlights that these guys had. Now, we talked about week 13. Now we're going to skip up to week 15. Now, the Kansas City Chiefs and the New Orleans Saints. Now, this was <laughs> this game was um, very, very, very intense in this game as well. I mean, a performance in this game as well. So you guys going to really appreciate it. If you have not saw that game, that game was pretty much back and forth. Now, this execution, I would say, was definitely great. Great, uh, great play on the player, but also good officiating teamwork as well. The Chiefs were facing second and goal from the Saints' five-yard line with eight minutes and 35 seconds remaining in the third quarter. Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes received the ball from shotgun formation, and he ran play action to his left. And we always, always, know, always know that Patrick always, he's not patient in the pocket. It's just his style, just his game, just his, his, the way how he plays, how he just want to roll out with the left or right, but particularly to his left because he's a right-handed passer and he actually can get the passes off a little better. He actually improved a lot going rolling out to his, to his left. Um, anyway, when he ran to his left, ran um, play action, he backpedaled like he always normally do, and while he was drifting to his left, Mahomes rifled the ball to the back corner end zone to wide receiver Miko Harmon. Now, Miko Harmon caught the pass, but he, he clearly ran out of bounds. For a moment, everyone at the display, everyone paused. Everyone was looking around trying to see what was going to be the determined factor. It was a touchdown, so everyone had like a brief pause. The only people that did not pause was, yes, the NFL caretakers, as, they, as these guys was on the scene the whole time. Now. Following the execution from from step by step, side judge Edward Scott was watching the play, and he actually pointed to the spot where he saw um, Harmon land. Now, at the snap of the ball, down judge Kent um, Payne he followed the step step by step. As soon as the ball the ball was snapped, he moved from the spot, then moved right to where the pylon was at the goal line. So he followed step by step with intensity. Now, after Edwards had pointed to the spot on the field, Payne, both from Scott Novak's crew, Payne actually paused before he actually put the signal up. He, like, froze for a moment, and then when he froze, that's when Edwards signaled the touchdown catch, and then that's when Payne signaled the touchdown. Now, all the while, while this whole thing was going on, going on, back judge Terrence Miles, he witnessed the process as well, when he was in the middle part of the field, and he just stood and watched what these guys was going to make because they were closest to the play, and they and they had signaled a touchdown. It was breathtaking the way how this play had went on and how these guys was able to catch this thing, this play in live speed. Like I tell you, it's bang bang speed on this field, blur speed. It was amazing how they nailed it. At the replay, it displayed and showed that when Harmon filled the ball. His teammate, Sammy Watkins, was right in the vicinity, right there. He could have made the play for the ball. He could have dove for it. 
But fortunately for him, he did not make a play for the ball because most ch- chances are if he would have dove for it, he probably would have been out of bounds and probably missed up the play. But a good part on Sammy Watkins to not to try to make a play for the ball. But Harmon, when he had caught the pass, his right foot landed just about an inch inbound before he ran out of bounds. But when his when his foot his right foot landed, his left foot was dragging the whole time. And with him landing his right foot just inbounds by with, by, with less than an inch, for him to catch the ball and have control immediately, landed, pivot his right foot, dragging his foot, and then he rolled out of bounds. Clear play, um, replay clearly showed that it was a catch. And Edwards and Payne, along with Miles, from a distance, there was a complete pass. They ruled a touchdown. Replay held that it was a solid play. Good call for these guys on the field. For these guys that had displayed concentration and also great, 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 great awareness as officials. So that was one of those plays that was really, really good, not only on the player, but also on the officiating. Now, week 16, yes, I know we're going to talk about the Saints again. And, yes, the Minnesota Vikings. It just just so happened that <laughs> some of these good plays had happened against – I mean, had happened in these games for these players. Now, at this point, the Vikings were still trying to fight for a playoff spot, and this game pretty much eliminated them uh, from playoff contention, which helped the Saints get to that point where they was going to win their NFC South division. Now, in this matchup, with 10 minutes and 21 seconds remaining in the first half, the Vikings were facing first and 10 from inside the Saints' five-yard line. Quarterback Kirk Cousins took the ball from, from center and did a pitch toss to running back uh, Michael Boone. Mike, Michael Boone. Boone took off to the outside of the edge and he just, you know, took off towards the pylon. He he locked in on where he needed to go to get that touchdown. Now while the defenders was closing in on him, he lunged himself towards the end zone, hitting the pylon. At a quick, a quick glance, it appeared that he was out of bounds when his right foot was near the sideline. Now, line judge Kenny Cody from Adrian Hill's crew, he was all over the execution. After stepping back and processing what he had saw, he had looked at Boone. The ball was out of his hand, but he recognized where he was at, and then that's when you saw Cody all of a sudden extend his hands up for the touchdown position. Now, when replay showed, replay showed that when Boone was approaching, Boone was approaching the pylon, he was dragging his right foot the whole time. And when he extended his left hand, he hit the ball, extended his hand with the ball in his hand. He hit the pylon, then he fell out of bounds. So he had control of the ball. His feet both were in bounds. But, but from the naked eye, how fast the play had looked, it looked like as soon as he had hit the pylon, his right foot went out of bounds. But when the replay showed that when he was running, he was dragging his right foot, and then he hit the pylon with his ball, and then that's when his foot had went out. And so that's why it looked like from the naked eye they was out of bounds. Replay showed that Cody was right in signaling, in signaling that was a touchdown. So that was a fantastic play. Now, we're not finished with Cody yet. He also was on another critical play in this game. Now, Vikings, two minutes, 11 seconds left in the game. The game was pretty much over. The Saints pretty much blew the Vikings out. But as the game continued to play on, the officials still had to officiate. And so with this play, fourth and goal from the Saints' one-yard line with two minutes and 15 seconds left, Cousins received the ball from shotgun formation. Cousins went play action to his right, and while he was drifting to his right-hand side, he saw a wide receiver, Adam Thinley, coming back to him near the pylon. Cousins rifled the pass to Thielen, and he caught the pass, but he was pushed out of bounds. Now, Saints cornerback Janarius Jenkins signaled it incomplete. Now, professionally, Cody kind of like just looked past Jenkins and just monitored the process thoroughly, and he signaled a touchdown as if Jenkins was not in his face trying to say it was incomplete. Now, when the ball was snapped, Cody has actually stepped back to monitor and witness the entire play. When the ball was in the air, Adam Dillon had possessed the ball in the air. When he possessed the ball in the air, the ball was over the goal line. His body was over the goal line. And when he came down, he was out 
he was not in the end zone. He was still in, in the field of play, but he got pushed out. And so when he got pushed out, it looks like from the naked eye that he did not come down in the end zone. But Cody recognized the ball was over the pile. I mean, it was over the goal line. Dylan had control of the ball, and boom. Thus, touchdown, replay, replay has showed that the ball was over the goal line. Dylan had control of the pass. And he got pushed out of bounds, but the ball broke the plane, had control, touchdown. That was a great on-call, on-the-field call made by Colton. Now, that right there will wrap up. You go to lockerdash4.com. There's a couple more highlights there to break down the two. But for the sake of the show, I definitely want to get to this piece on the HBCU platform, which is something to watch out for for 2021 season. Now, Last year when the Chiefs had won the Super Bowl, and we talked about this, Alex Brown was the first HBCU player to win a Super Bowl since 2013 when when uh, Jackson had won the Super Bowl with the Seattle Seahawks. He was a backup quarterback. Now, we know he lost his life last year to a tragic car accident uh, from um, uh, as alumni from Alabama A&M. Um, however, he still made history for the HBCU uh, platform. But Alex Smith was the first HBCU player to win a Super Bowl since then. Now, coming to Super Bowl 55, HBCU was going to win again because both sides of the ball had players from the HBCU platform that was going to, at least someone was going to win a Super Bowl. So that was a consecutive year. The last time the HBCU platform had Super Bowl winners in consecutive years came in 2016 and 2007. 2016, Alabama A&M alumni Robert Mathis, defensive incident for the Indianapolis Colts, he won a Super Bowl for those guys. And then the following year, Hall of Fame defensive end Michael Strahan for Texas Southern. That big game when they upset the New England Patriots in 2007. That was the last time in consecutive years that the HBCU platform had representatives that won Super Bowls in consecutive years. So that was fantastic. Now, in this Super Bowl, Super Bowl 55, Quentin Bell, linebacker from Prairie View A&M, he gets a Super Bowl ring, and Ryan Smith, cornerback for Tampa Bay Bucks, he gets a Super Bowl ring from North Carolina Central. So these two young men will keep this whole thing going on consecutive years. Now, those two players in Bell and Smith, through the NFL history, they are the 20th, 19 and 20th players from the from the HBCU platform to win Super Bowl rings. Yes, the NFL been around for 102 years going on, and only 20 players from the HBCU platform have won Super Bowl rings. So they made history there. The player that had the most Super Bowl, Super Bowl rings, and everyone who knows the Pittsburgh Steelers still curtain, Mel Blunt from Southern University. He had the most Super Bowl rings from the HBCU platform with four as he won Super Bowls in 1975, 1976, 1979, and 1980. So he's the king. Everyone likes to throw the GOAT around, you know, so, hey, let's use it for that. He's the GOAT for the HBCU platform and winning Super Bowl rings. So he has that. Now, so what to look out for for 2021 NFL season? <clears throat> this could be the first year, but this could be the first time that for three years in a row that the HBCU platform had Super Bowl champions. They never had Super Bowl champions three years in a row. This could be the year where in 2021 where they will have three years in a row where HBCU platform, a player, will hoist the Lombardi Trophy. This is very significant. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers is, look, is looking at to to repeat if that was to happen and if Ryan Smith is still a part of um, the roster, and if Quentin Bell makes the active roster, and they are part of this team, and if they were to go back and win the Super Bowl, that will be three years in a row. Right now, there was only 31 players from the HBCU platform on all of the NFL teams, on all NFL rosters. Over 1,700 players, only 31 were from the HBCU platform. So it's definitely going to be a high clear, I mean, uh, definitely going to be a hill to climb. But anything can happen. All things are possible. Thank you guys for tuning in to Locker Talk on the Bachelor News Radio Network, where you hear about NFL stars tomorrow today. I'm your host, Barry Barnes, founder and CEO of Locker-Sport.com. And make sure you guys go to the site, Locker-Sport.com, to see all the unique content, 
on the NFL. And make sure you guys follow me on any one of my social handles on Twitter at Lock underscore Report, on Instagram, Lock Report 100, on Facebook, LockReport.com, and Lock and Talk Podcast. And make sure you guys subscribe to the channel on YouTube for Lock and Talk Podcast. And make sure you guys tune in to the Bachelor News Radio Network to hear me anytime you want to, 24 hours a day. Everyone stay blessed. Talk to you guys soon.
On with me. 